Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Hi, buddy. Brad Garoon, super excited for today's show. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a little bit different than normal. Well, not normal lately. We've been having multiple guests on quite a bit lately, but we decided to give our audience both a, a large worldview of video marketing and then sort of narrow it down more into a, a more specific view of uh, video marketing. Yeah, so today on the show, we have Sahil Patel from Digiday. He oversees all their video marketing content, so he's going to give us this bird's eye view of you know, where, what's happened in the video marketing world and where it's headed. Uh, and then after that, we're going to speak to Jeremy Jacobowitz, who is uh, more pro- prominently known as at Brunch Boys on Instagram. So like Brad said, we'll do the 30,000-foot view, and then we'll get into some more food marketing-based stuff. Uh, it's going to be real exciting stuff. These guys have a lot, to, a lot of insight to bring to the show. Yeah, it was a, a real good talk with both of them. We'll get to that in just a sec, but I'm starving, so I need to know what you had burger-wise. I got punished this past week. Punished. I went on a little road trip with uh, our Schweiden Sons uh, Mid-Atlantic marketing re- uh, sales rep, and he had me stuff five burgers in five restaurants in three states in one day down my throat. And then the next day we got up and for breakfast, we had three Wagyu burgers in eight minutes. That's too much. <laughs> it was great, man. I loved it. I loved it. We went to this place, Arugas. Have you been doing Arugas? No, but I like the name Aruga. That's exactly why they named it. So they have like uh, fourteen or so. You have, don't quote me on the number. Locations all you know, basically in, in Pennsylvania, one in Connecticut, and it's a it's a sports bar with like really amazing food. A lot of like, you know, not this is this is me, but vegetarian and gluten free and all those options, but also. You know, all their burgers are no antibiotics, no hormones. Like it's a really like they really took a high class approach to food, and the every single burger on the menu is is uh, Schweiden Sons Wagyu. Like they're all American Kobe, everything, and it's like ten bucks a burger. And they have donut burgers and pretzel burgers and brunch burgers and peanut butter and jelly burgers. And it's like it's just it's nothing. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, me and, and Mike from Schweid took down three Wagyu burgers in eight minutes. They were all fantastic. And I was like, this is not chain food. This is not fast food. Like, this is just really great food in a really fun environment. It brings the question to my mind, and, and we're going to have to do a whole episode about this, maybe one of our holiday burger-themed episodes, about everything you wanted to know about burgers and or maybe we're misinformed about, like the difference between why it's called Wagyu in the United States, if why Kobe isn't really a thing here. Uh, things like that. I think we should do a whole episode about burger misconceptions and little known facts. I'm down. But before then, I know you got a burger to tell me about. Yeah. Uh, over the weekend, I went to a new spot under the High Line uh, right next to Colicchio and Sons called Sons and Daughters. Uh, and they do what's pretty much a, it's an elevated bar burger, Martin's potato roll, cheddar cheese, a great, it, what was it? It was a, it's a Piedmontese and Chuck blend with LTO, the onions pickled, they do their own uh, pickling in-house, and um, really delicious burger with thrice-cooked fries, and also uh, I ordered a side of soft pretzels, not knowing that they'd be covered in cheese and dill, which blew my freaking mind. I'm, ha- I'm having a love affair with dill for the last, like, two years now. That's what she said. Yeah, she's allowed. I'll share them. <laughs> this place is fantastic. Uh, it's not a fancy restaurant, but it's a bit swanky, given that it's just north of meatpacking, and the burger has is a pretty decent price point, under $20. For burger and fries, and um, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Good cocktails there too. 
Sounds up my alley, man. Well, let's talk to our knowledgeable guests about video marketing, and maybe we'll go grab a burger. Sahil Patel leads coverage for the video industry for Digiday, a leading modern media publication that is a go-to for tech nerds and marketing influencers. Patel was the launch editor-director of Videolink, a business trade publication dedicated to the emerging online video entertainment industry. He also covered TV and online for Synopsis Daily and has appeared as a guest speaker in the New York Television Festival, VidCon, Social Media Week, and NPR's On the Media. Guy knows a lot about video. Sahil, what is a business or individual missing out on by ruling out video marketing? I think, I mean, it's very clearly where the web is going, right? Like, who, who here uh, isn't seeing videos all over their Facebook feeds right now? By, by completely ignoring it, you're basically missing out on where the world is going, whether it's social networks or websites, wherever. It's all video at this point. How did you become interested in covering video trends? Uh, you know, it kind of happened organically. Uh, I mean, I've always been like a, a, a media nerd, a media geek at theater high school. You know, did, was a film major in college, and I ended up lucking into or falling into the, the synopsis digital job where I basically was covering TV and online. And, you know, historically it's always been about, like, all the creative aspects of it, but I found myself fascinated by sort of the business that exists behind all of the things you guys watch, whether it's TV, film, you know, short clips online. There's this whole, like, massive industry that kind of makes it all happen uh, for good or bad. And so that became really fascinating for me, and that kind of became my thing. You literally sit on top of the video marketing world. You, you know, you know what's happening before it happens. You see the trends before they ride the wave. You have inside knowledge on of what people are doing with video today. What, in your opinion, is, is, is working inside of video marketing? What, and what do you see is coming next? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing right now is sort of how video can be used on, on Facebook for a variety of different ways. Whether you're just trying to entertain people or if it's, sort of, uh, if it's a marketing message, uh, it, it, video is becoming such an integral, integral part of Facebook. I think Zuckerberg, uh, during an earnings call a few days ago, or last week, even said uh, Facebook's going to be a video first company in a, in a few years, and you can kind of see it by just going on your newsfeed. It's become such a big part of, of marketing entertainment, um, and I think that's sort of the biggest thing that everyone's focused on right now. So Facebook video being pushed, Zuckerberg all for it. I think people generally feel that and are seeing that, and that's, that's full-blown in our world now. What do you think is the next video trend that we're going to see? I think, you know, it's funny enough where to go back sort of to the Facebook well, but it, they, they dominate the, the conversation so much, right? And, I mean, they have to. They're with, it's, what, 1.7 billion, uh, billion users uh, users now. Like, it's, it's, they are, whatever they kind of do is going to lead the conversation in so many ways. And you kind of see it happening where it's not just video anymore. It's live video. You, have, you see everyone streaming live on Facebook, whether it's users. Uh, a lot of media companies are doing it. Food publishers are doing it. Um, it's becoming such a, a next big thing, which is a funny thing to say considering live has been around forever. People have been broadcasting live for a long time, but it's only newer now in the social networking sense. Uh, you know, Periscope kind of really uh, started it along with Meerkat, but Facebook's taking it to the next level. So that's, that's the next thing, even though it's an old thing. We know edited video, produced video can be monetized through YouTube, if not Facebook. So how can live video be monetized by folks or is it really just good for brand awareness? You know, right now, honestly, uh, it's it's primarily a brand awareness thing. Uh, YouTube still remains the, the the one sort of video slash social platform where things can be monetized, video can be monetized effectively. And now, when I say effectively, does it mean 
everyone's pulling in a lot of lot of dough on YouTube, but at the same time, there's a system in place to have the pre-roll advertising, to have you know display, they have all these different tools that people can get used to monetize on a consistent basis. Uh, Facebook is has been experimenting with a lot of these things, but for you know when you when you talk to sort of a lot of bigger media companies that have the resources and the time to devote towards YouTube, Facebook, and other social platforms. Facebook's still bringing only pennies, uh, pennies back because there is no real video monetization system in place. Whether we're talking about edited, you know, recorded video or, or live video. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of sick of seeing like these bush league. I turn my video on live. Facebook video is just popping up and down my feed. Um, you know, you have the ability to control what you get in your Facebook feed by saying like or comment or whatever you don't want. Um, you know, what effect do you think that this that video will have on social networks, especially something as personal as Facebook? You know, is it going to be brands? Is it going to be personal? Like, where's that going to go? It's always going to, I think, be personal. I think there, uh, two a few weeks ago uh, there were reports that came out that Facebook is once again kind of redoing their algorithm, where it's going to prioritize posts by your friends and the and the, and the and the people you follow, the network that you kind of follow, what they're sharing is going to be placed. You know, at the top of the newsfeed versus you know content from all these uh, advertisers or or media companies. But at the end of the day, you're not only following your friends; you're following you, everyone's following at least a few pages, right? Um, whether it's a media company, whether it's a, a publisher, what have you, people follow what they like. And so, if it's content that's effective, and and, and more importantly, if it's content that Facebook likes and the Facebook algorithm likes, that's going to be sort of populated first and foremost, and in a way, it's going to be personalized to you because at the end of the day, you made the choice to follow them. So uh, I think it's going to be more on the on the personalization sense. So then given that you've got folks like Tasty and BuzzFeed who kind of found like a new lease on life through video, that's on the one hand. They're doing great with it. But then you've got maybe a small business who wants to put money behind video production, which can be quite expensive if you want to do it well, and they might not see... Um, a return on that investment. What do you think is the right way for a small business to go about getting into this game and getting a piece of this pie? Well, well here's the the important thing: video to produce is incredibly expensive. Don't don't. There's no question about it. But here's something that the social networks and particularly Facebook have done: it's really cheapened the cost of production. You look at a lot of these live streams that even you know big name media companies are doing. The New York Times is going live on Facebook. Uh, plenty of times during the day, and a lot of those videos are not HD quality because you don't really need it there. Yeah, you can do it if you have the resources, but you don't actually need it there. A lot of these big companies are using smartphones and tablets to shoot it because it's a little bit more raw. It feels a little bit more direct and personalized in that way. So people are not ignoring a video if it doesn't have that polished sheen to it. So in that way, Facebook is making it cheaper to produce video content and uh, if, if you're a small business owner, it's almost it almost makes sense to start there because of the reach that Facebook offers, uh, because of the targeting tools that they offer, and the fact that again you're not spending thousands to tens of thousands to hundreds of thousand dollars on a piece of video because the algorithm does not really care if it's polished or not. The trend right now appears to be a move from from YouTube to Facebook Video. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a lot due to the thanks to the higher counts and the nature of Facebook. I mean. You know, they're rewarding video, your friends can like it, it's easier to connect, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Facebook video will actually pull in higher engagement over YouTube? Well, uh, it's tough, you know, because it really also depends on the, in, in how you define engagement. What's important to you, right? Like, do you want people to share the video? Maybe, yeah, because Facebook makes it really easy to share something that you've watched uh, on its platform. You just got to click a, a button or two. Uh, if it's you focused on likes, comments, 
Yeah, potentially. Even though YouTube has a commenting system and a liking system, uh, there's no you know definitive data yet whether people are more likely to like something they watch on YouTube versus Facebook. But you also have to remember there are a lot of people, and again, it might not matter for a marketer, uh, but there or or it might I don't know. Um, but there are a lot of people who kind of value engagement in the sense of time spent watching your your stuff. Well, that's difficult, right? Just because. Uh, most YouTube videos, I mean, they're not long, but most YouTube videos you could probably see being in sort of the two to five, maybe a little bit longer minute range. Well, whereas most Facebook videos, I mean, it's 30 seconds, if even, you know, maybe a minute. That's sort of the optimal time for a recorded Facebook video. So, you know, that, it really depends on how much, how you kind of define it. And then, of course, it also changes when we're talking about live versus non-live, because if you're going live for 25 minutes, you're obviously going to get people spending more time with the content than not. So it really depends on what's sort of the goal, what's the motive, what, what do you guys want to get out of this content, and then kind of optimizing the, the, the creative, so to speak, to, to, to get that. So if, if video is moving towards Facebook, and I, I agree with you, I really do think it is. Um, I mean, like you can't scroll through your feed without seeing, uh, quote-unquote, moving pictures. But mm -hmm. the stat just came out that 85% of that video is watched with no sound. Uh, I am definitely inside that 85%. Um, how can people use this information to create more effective videos? So, I mean, you know, you're actually kind of seeing it uh, a lot. You know, um, uh, not to single sort of any one publisher or two, but if you look at some, some, you know, what like a company like Now This produces, um, a lot of these publishers, uh, knowing full well that because people are scrolling uh, and are not likely to click on a video, you have to grab their attention. They use there's there's these like tips and tricks that have kind of risen in, in the past few months past year, uh, and two of the primary things that people kind of are doing are one have a striking sort of visual a thing to kind of get the re, the you know the scroller so to speak to stop in the within the first three seconds because a Facebook counts a view uh, at three seconds so have that first and because people are not watching it typically with the sound on you now start seeing a lot more closed captioning. A lot of a lot more text-based videos, where I mean, it's a it's a silly-sounding term, but it is true. They're they're in effect becoming moving images, where it's not video in the traditional sense, where you not only watch it but you listen to it. Now you watch it and you read it, and that's become really the dominant format when it comes to at least non-live Facebook videos. And you see a, a lot of different types of companies that are investing in the platform, doing it in that way. So go, going back to you being on top of the, the crest of the wave here. Uh, again, my own filter, like Snapchat, I never have the sound on. I miss everything. Do, do you see technology coming or social networks coming that will help you automatically embed text or you know, voice-to-text type of thing? Oh, uh, yeah. They're already here. Um, there's a few small ones when it comes to voice-to-text, but you also have these companies that, you know, these technology companies that allow you to turn text into video, uh, and, and in that process allows you to include, you know, closed captioning, like there are technologies already available to to that allows people to do that. Uh, some more more established than others, but there's definitely coming because if that's if that's a media format that's being prioritized by one of the biggest companies on the planet with over you know nearly two billion users, they're coming. <laughs> there's going to be more and more tools available to make this even easier, even cheaper, even quicker to produce. Can you share the names of a couple of these technologies? Sure. Yeah, for example, uh, when it comes to uh, text-to-video, there's these two companies called, and I hate saying these names, but that's what they're called, <laughs> uh, Watchit, W-O-C-H-I-T, and Wibbit, W-I-B-B-I-T-Z. Um, they typically work with a lot of like media companies, a lot of publishers, 
and they make it really you know easy to turn like an article uh, into a narrated video, uh, a video with text on the screen. They have all the options available to you in terms of how you want to present it. And I believe uh, one of them uh, has sort of a a, 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 a single user option where it's not like a massive media company doing it, but I'd have to double check on that. Uh, but yeah, so those are two sort of the, the leading companies in, the, in that area in terms of allowing you to qu quickly turn out video without really needing to produce much, uh, uh, to edit much, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk specifically about food for a minute. Um, mm -hmm. In the world of, of food blogging and, and food social influencers, aggregators are often winning over content creators. Mm -hmm. And you've written that this is true in the Facebook video world as well. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're just starting out as a food blogger or a wannabe social influencer. Is curating other accounts video the way to go? It's, 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 it's certainly a way you can start. You have to be careful about these things, though, because when I say aggregators, that also includes a lot of people who don't properly credit uh, uh, the people who actually made the video, who, uh, 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 you know, rip a video and upload it as their own on their own pages. It's a really difficult and great, you know, it's a difficult area to, to navigate, and it's, it's a problem for sure, uh, and a lot of people are upset by it or have been upset by it, but it's something, one, that Facebook's working on, and it's established, it's established better tools to track down sort of piracy on the platform. Things, you know, it's an area that the platform itself needs to improve on, but at least there's something there finally. And it's going to become more of an issue if it's not resolved in a better way by the time you can actually make money off of the video. So going back to your question, like, yeah, curation can help in that front, but be careful as you do that because you want to properly credit the actual source of the content. But I would also say it's, you know, if you really, really want to, like, it is, there's, a difference, there's a difference between scaling to a lot of followers very quickly and getting followers that come back to you every day and want to watch your stuff. And that's only the, the latter is only going to happen if you make your own stuff and you develop your own voice, your own identity, uh, and give reason people to follow you. Uh, curation helps, but curation's not going to win the ballgame. Is there currently any resolution that you could have if someone steals your content? Well, like I said, uh, Facebook has uh, developed some tools that you know that allows you to track this and get those videos taken down, claimed and taken down. But it's still very early on in the process, so it's not perfect just yet. So there are tools available to you today. Uh, it's just not perfect uh, as of yet. So you know, it, it's something that you know ostensibly will get improved over time. Do you think, or maybe you already know, are we going to start seeing ad roll over Facebook videos? Well, you know, the funny thing is. Uh, Facebook has been very stead, steadfast about not having pre-rolls. Um, and that makes sense, considering it's not like YouTube where you typically are choosing to watch the video. You're clicking a link, and you're, you're making that decision. So it's easier to kind of slide an ad in front of that video. You can't do that on Facebook when it's all auto-playing and you're scrolling by. If you're scrolling by and there's an ad before the video, why would you ever just stick around and watch it? Like, no one in their right mind would actually do that. So unless Facebook completely changes its home page, it, you know, the, the news feed, uh, don't expect pre-rolls to kind of show up on video content. That, that being said, um, live is another priority for them, and in that area, it's definitely looking like it's going to be some type of mid-roll or, or overlay, things, things that kind of like can be inserted into the stream, but again, are not interruptive in the way that a pre-roll might, pre might be. So sticking with Facebook video for a second, uh, you've written that Tastemade is talking about producing and probably is currently producing longer Facebook Live videos. And I think in general, Facebook Live videos tend to be quite long, but you mentioned earlier in the show that the ideal length of time for a Facebook video is 
this is around 30 seconds. So how are those two things reconciling with each other? Well, it's it's the format, right? Uh, uh, when, when it's thirty seconds to a minute when it's recorded or, or edited video, where you know it's not you're not going live. If you're going live for thirty seconds, no one's going to watch because uh, you typically need five minutes to even build some sort of audience, consistent audience, before you can start actually going into the content. If you see a lot of these live videos, the first five minutes are pretty dead as sort of the the, the audience gets to a, a, a critical enough of a mass, and then you can start doing the content. So it really comes down to what you're doing. If you're doing live, I think Facebook recommends anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes is a good is an ideal length for a live video. You can obviously go longer if you choose to, uh, but when it comes to you know edited, recorded video, that 30 second to minute range has been sort of the uh, uh, the dominant length. A lot of this talk to me sounds like it is going to be about who has the best uh, the best budget, who is the most creative, and that people who are just trying to do like the little personal 15 second YouTube quip, like it's I mean they'll be in a video format, but it's not really going to be rewarding for them. Mm-hmm. That people are just going to skip over that. Do you feel like it, this is definitely going to be a professional ball players game? I'll put it this way: um, it's the people who kind of have the time and resources to. To play in this ball game that end up kind of winning out in so many ways. I mean, you know, when you when you're a BuzzFeed and you have all this money backing you and you have the time to develop an audience where you don't immediately need to be making a, a whole lot of money from the video that you're putting out on Facebook. Yes, you're gonna win. I mean, not to say that they aren't doing that. They're obviously doing branded videos on there, so they are making some money. But at the end of the day, it's the people that have the time and the patience and the resources to do it. Well, that being said, again, it's it's Facebook's. It's a completely, it's a unique platform. Uh, it's very democratic, uh, and it's probably easier to to build on Facebook than it is on YouTube, which has its own kind of rules and 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 way to kind of grow an audience and makes and is even more labor intensive. So yeah, you know, of course the the well backed and well financed media companies are going to do well because they have the time to figure it out. But if anything, I think Facebook as a platform. Ha- it has made a lot of things easier for people who don't have the, those kinds of budgets but still want to do video in some kind of fashion. All right, so what you're telling me, if I'm reading between the lines here, is that Brad and I doing a podcast is going to have to turn into a video show if we want to be successful in the future. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, I'll put it this way. Facebook would love it if you turned it into a video show. But I think the other important thing is, I mean, it's the biggest. It's the question that you should be, you should be asking from day one. And people should, have, you know, have been asking from day one since video was invented, which is, does this need to be a video? I think that's an important distinction to make. Uh, it doesn't need to be a video. Uh, if it does, great, do it. But if it doesn't, then you're just wasting your time. Right. But actually, Digiday is turning their podcasts into videos, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe they are. I can't confirm or deny it, though. <laughs> I think I saw a Digiday video the other day where they took an audio podcast, put a video overlay on it, and there was uh, sound waves moving sort of to keep the attention on the video while the podcast plays, which I thought was kind of genius and something that uh, if I was a better video producer, would have looked into for this show. Well, the thing is, like, you know, we, like everybody else, are experimenting to see what works, what gets people to watch. Um, but, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, that's not going to be the reason Digiday builds a massive, even a bigger audience on Facebook. Right? That alone is not going to be the reason. It's one of many things that we're doing on the platform. So, again, if you have the time and resources to experiment, absolutely do that. But if you don't, and if you're a little bit more limited and a little bit more stretched, focus on what you do best and kind of find the media format that works best for you. Okay, that sounds like less work too, so that sounds good to me. <laughs> um, 
Can you tell us a bit about Amazon Video Direct? Who can publish to it, and, and is there a future there? Uh, there might be a future, but uh, you know, it's it's an interesting area because Amazon, for for as long as it's been in the video business, which has not been that long, uh, has been more has been following more of that Netflix model. They've been you know buying up films and TV shows and making some of their own, and now they're opening up this ability for for video creators, uh, uh, primarily what we would consider you know what we would call a YouTuber, uh, to go directly. Through Amazon, um, I, you know, ideally, yeah, it could be a big thing just because it was Amazon back. You know, it's, it's with the backing of Amazon. Amazon also, like Facebook, like other platforms, really cares about video right now. It's not the biggest priority for the company, obviously, but the more time people spend on their on their platforms means the more time people are on their platforms and have a chance to be convinced of buying something, right? Um, so it very well could be something. I think it's just a little bit too early to tell in terms of whether it's going to be a big thing or not. But at least, yeah, it has it now has the ability for people who are not a media company but have an audience to, to distribute directly to their platform. All right, let's talk food again. Uh, food Network has a 10-person Snapchat team, and they admit it is not profitable. As uh, of the spring. I haven't checked on in on them since the spring. <laughs> <laughs> last I heard, Food Network has a 10-person Snapchat team, and last I heard, they admit it's not profitable. <laughs> uh, you know, is it worthwhile for brands, restaurants, etc., these smaller businesses, to invest into like even a fraction of that kind of money in Snapchat? You know, when there's currently no path to profit. Oh, absolutely not. Also, let's remember, um, Food Network is a, is one of 20 companies that are on Discover, and Discover has, it's not proving yet if Discover is is going is going to be a thing. It's a thing right now because it's still relatively new and advertisers are interested in it, so they're willing to pay some premiums for these media companies who are on Discover. But it's also a very limited space. Not anybody can just go in and become a Discover publisher. That's not going to happen. So when you are a Discover publisher and you basically have now a channel that you have to program, it makes sense that you're going to spend some time uh, devoting, you know, spend some resources and spend some money uh, on building it out, and of course it's not going to be profitable because it's still relatively new. It's not a proven kind of platform uh, uh, for consistent monetization the way uh, YouTube has become, right? Um, so if you're a smaller marketer or a smaller media company or just a small business, you can be on Snapchat, but have an account, and that's where you can. You know, your core fans will follow you, and you can do fun, unique, interesting things there. But there should be no way, like uh, no way in hell that ten you, you should be hiring or spending that kind of resources on a platform like Snapchat or any other platform because it just doesn't work that way. You know, these media companies live in a different world. Well, Sahil, this has been incredibly interesting. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, we don't usually get to take such a broad look at, at a facet of the industry, of mm -hmm. the marketing industry, and this was just really, I think, a great way for our listeners to sort of wrap their head around all of, of what's going on in the video world. Last question for you. Uh, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to someone in the food marketing industry? Uh, I think it goes back to the first thing I said, which is don't ignore social platforms. That's where a lot of the people who come to your place of business are. They're not. They're on Yelp, sure, but they're also on Facebook every day. Don't don't ignore these platforms. It's a great way to kind of build loyalty. And it's not again. It's not just Facebook. Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you don't have to spend like hours and hours on it every day, but keep it keep it as part of your as part of your overall marketing strategy because that's where that's where, that's where your consumers are. So, yeah, that was awesome. Thank you very much, man. I really, really appreciate the insight. appreciate you coming on the show and appreciate you uh, having a good time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on, guys. Will you, hey. real quick, let people know where they can find out about you and more about Digiday? 
Oh yeah, I mean Digiday is just digiday.com, D-I-G-I-D-A-Y.com, and um, I mean I'm even though I write about these things, um, I really only am active on Twitter. Uh, so <laughs> at Sus Patel is where I'm at. So if you want to chat there, I'm I'm always happy to take a message and chat. Jeremy Jacobowitz is the president and founder of Brunch Boys, a brunch-focused food media sensation boasting over 200,000 followers on Instagram at the time of recording this, an increasing number of brunch-related events, and most importantly for this conversation, an expanding array of video projects. Uh, he was also named one of the most eligible bachelors in New York City by a guest of a guest. <laughs> Jeremy, how does, yes. video, <laughs> how does video content help you stand out from other food Instagram accounts? You know, I, I think it's really, really critical. I think it's critical on a level of you should do anything to stand out, and I think you should do things that you are good at to stand out. I think it's always been my advice. You know, I get asked that question every day of, hey, I'm starting a food Instagram account, or I have this food Instagram account. Like, what do I do to grow? And really what it breaks down to is I tell them, like, just be different. And if you look out there, still not too many people are doing videos, and, you know, I think it's just another way to, to be different. And, you know, m my background is working in food TV, working in television. I mean, I've worked in TV. Oh, I started in TV 10 years ago and uh, had worked pretty much only in food TV for five years. So while maybe I, I was producing, I wasn't really shooting, so it's a little different what I do for Bunch Boys with it. But at least I have the knowledge, I have the background of making food content. And that's sort of always the way I've looked at Brunch Boys. Um, I think in terms of technical stuff, I think you have to look at, even beyond Instagram, you know, the videos, my audience is on Instagram, that's how I cut my videos, is thinking about it for Instagram. Every video is one minute because of that. But, I, you know, I look across the platforms of Instagram and Facebook specifically, and, you know, they want to push videos. Their goal is to have videos succeed. So if that's what they want me to push, and that's what, how they want me to have ton of followers and ton of engagement, then that's what I'm going to do. If videos didn't work as much as I love making videos, I wouldn't do them. Um, but they're working. So I'm pretty happy that I'm, I'm, able, I'm able to do what I want to do. It's actually gone full circle. Brunch Boys was supposed to be an online brunch show. It wasn't supposed to be a food Instagram at all. Food Instagrams didn't, didn't exist when I started them. So it's sort of funny that it's gone all the way around and I get to go back to doing food videos, which is what I really love. So you sort of touched a little bit on almost every single question that we want to ask you today. <laughs> Perfect. Um, <laughs> he read. He knew. <laughs> yeah, that, that worked out really well. But So now we can get into it a little bit more. Sure, uh, of course. So, you, so now we've established it's definitely important given the way that Facebook, for example, is pushing content to, to mm -hmm. do video. So what are some specific ways that an aspiring food blogger can use video to enhance their personal brand? You know, it's hard, it, it's hard with both of them. Here's what I've learned in just in the past. This is really just some been the past two to three months, maybe. You know, it, it really started when Instagram went from doing 15-second videos to one-minute videos. That opened up the door to everything because producing 15-second videos is very, very, very hard. And it was pretty much just used. The way I did it was, was I would produce a real video, put it on my website, and, you know, promote it on Instagram with the teaser, 15-second trailer pretty much. And it's very difficult to get, get people to go from Instagram to your website. People don't really click through. So it was sort of a waste of time. When they made it one minute, that was a game changer. 
Um, and so I've been playing with the format, playing with what people like, playing with everything, because I still don't truly understand it. The videos are really hard to get right. When they when they go right on Instagram, they will blow up. But just to give you guys an example of like, in terms of the engagement on the videos I get, if it's a real, if the video blows up, I've had a video that's reached that got 600,000 views, but a video that's gotten, I think it was 2,500 comments. That's insane, especially when I only have 200,000 followers now, and I even at the time when I did that video, it was a little less than that. Um, but a, a bad video, or you know, a video that doesn't do as well, probably looking at 40,000 views, which is sort of crazy that there's that disparity where most of my pictures pretty much get the same thing. As much as I want to be different with the videos, it's hard. It's hard to figure out what the audience wants. Well, have um, you been able at all to determine what makes a 600,000-view video and what makes a 40,000-view video? Yeah. I mean, the videos that definitely do well are my recipe videos. So we do two shows right now. Um, one of them is called Waffled, which I work with a, a writer, Hilary Scheinbaum. She has a, a blog, Must Love Ice Cream, also. So she comes up with these waffled recipes. We shoot them. Those videos have done tremendously well. That's the one that's gotten 600,000 views. The other one I do is Can You Fry It? Um, I just deep fry the crap out of foods. Uh, that one, when I deep fried a bagel, that one got 2,500 comments. So I think people definitely like those type of videos, but those are a lot of work. That takes me shooting. That takes me editing. That, that takes having all the right equipment. It's worth it but a lot of work to do all the time. You know, I've also found that the most success I've had um, is posting on Sunday nights, like, dramatically. So I sort of save my original shows for Sunday nights, but then I feel like videos are so important that I've, I've been trying to get a video up a day, and to produce that level of content every day is, is hard on top of everything else I have to do. So I have, I call them quick bites. You don't really notice that on Instagram. That's more for the website to break it up but it's pretty much just straight food porn. So whether it's just syrup dripping on waffles or sort of assembly videos with burgers, I try and keep those simple, uh, you know, more simple, more straightforward. But it's still really hard. You would think like, oh, a burger, yolk smashing all over the place and, you know, a, a cheese melting ever would do amazing, and it could. On the other hand, I posted a video Friday night of just milk being poured into your cereal to me, sort of boring, but still, you know, visually cool. And that got 100,000 views, where I thought, you know, something else that's a little more enticing do better. But I, I think it's timing, too. It's It's been really hard for me to figure out the timing on the videos of when to post them. So, in other words, it's more than just yolk porn. I, I, you know, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say just don't, you know, just think of some really creative and go far with it. But I don't know. <laughs> You know, sometimes the simplest videos are the ones that blow up. I mean, a strategy I have with them, with all the videos I've been posting, is is two things. Especially with Instagram, I have to think about it this way, is what counts as a view. And, you know, they change it all the time. I believe it was four or five seconds counts as a view. So what I do is I put pretty much the best shot at the top of the video, suck them right in. So if it's an assembly video of a burger and the yolk is the last part of the video, I don't want them to have to wait a minute for that because I'll lose them. Put that right at the top. Here's the yolk. Here's what you really want. And then I'll get into my more creativity in the videos. The same way with the 
like the deep frying uh, show. I posted that Sunday, deep fried a bacon, egg, mm-hmm. and cheese sandwich. And the, the top of the episode was me cutting it in half and getting the cheese pulled. So I've been trying to top load them to grab everyone in. Because to me, as long as it counts as a view, that's all I need. I would love for you to stay around and watch the whole thing. But if you don't, as it counts, that's all that matters. The other thing I found out, which shouldn't be so much of a surprise, because looking at the food videos that worked in the past, you look at like tasty stuff, there's, there's lots of words. Especially on Instagram, nobody watches the videos with the sound. So if the top of the show, you know, normally when I'm, if I was producing a food show, I produce them the way I produce them for TV, which is, hey, here's the host, here's explaining what we're going to do, here's what's going to happen, and let's get into it. But when you don't, but no one watches it with the sound. So you sort of have to cut people out of it, put words over it, and, and you know, make it accessible for the people watching it like that. A lot of really useful information. <laughs> you know, I feel like we could have asked you six questions there, and you just went all into all of them. Anyway, <laughs> let, let's switch it up a little bit now that you've sort of given away all of the secrets. And, uh, sure. So sure. when I start my deep frying sneakers uh, <laughs> show, I know what to do. Um, you've started using Facebook Live. How has that changed the way you think about social media and video? Yeah, I've done a couple of videos on Facebook Live. More so, sort of getting back to. Facebook wants me to push videos, they want me to push Facebook Live, that's what I'll do. It's been really hard. It's really hard because I'll see what bigger companies do with them. For example, um, I think it was like Thrillist was shooting something at a restaurant right after I was. Their Facebook Live team was a whole team with real gear, real equipment, the whole thing. It just set up on their iPad as opposed to a camera. I don't have that yet, so it was just more testing it out. I think it's fun. I think if it works, it really works. Um, when I did my puppy brunch, there's a Facebook called Little Things, and they were live from from the brunch. And just the way they were able to interact with everyone was really crazy. The likes popping up, the questions popping up, and sort of like really engaging with the audience on a whole other level. So I think if you have the audience and you are doing something fun it could totally, totally work. Do you think in that regard you need someone dedicated to responding to things as they happen and helping you to do that? Or, or can Facebook Live be done as a one-man operation? I don't think it could be done as a one-man operation, honestly. I mean, it can be. I did a Facebook Live with someone, and we sort of set the phone up on the tripod and had the computer in front of us. And it works, and we were able to sort of, like, start a discussion, like if you guys are doing this on Facebook Live. We start a discussion... As people, you know, ask questions, you could do it. So uh, I guess I take that back. You could definitely do Facebook Live with one person. Uh, but the things I want to do in terms, like, especially because I want to be in restaurants and doing cooking things and more interactive things beyond just talking, I think it definitely takes a team. But I think you could definitely find find ways around that. So let's talk about the platforms you use for a second. I, I've noticed that you've kind of steered away from YouTube. Uh, the Brunch Boys YouTube channel looks lonely and like it, it needs a little attention. But yes. and then most of the videos that are on your website are uploaded through Vimeo, and then you're using Facebook video, obviously, and Instagram video. So yes. what's what's the thought behind the move away from YouTube? Really, what it was was you know that YouTube page that is now called Brunch Boys really dates back like ten years. I uploaded videos there for years and years. And it never got any traction. It didn't really matter. Your interviews um, with Triple H so, didn't catch people's attention? 
you know what they did? Uh, some of the some of the wrestling stuff blew up. I think I have like so, I would go to the WrestleMania presser every year, and those would get like seventy thousand, almost a hundred thousand views. But those are sort of five videos compared to tons of videos over the years. Um, and while the views would get would get it, it never really got traction to the YouTube channel. So it's not like I had followers there. The, the videos would sort of just get picked up by wrestling sites. Um, and it, it never really found an audience directly on YouTube. And when I was rebuilding my website about a year ago, it, you know, what happened was Vimeo videos just looked better on the website. That was honestly it. And the videos never got any traction on YouTube anyway. And even though it would take two seconds to upload on YouTube anyway, I figured, what's the difference? Just stick everything on Vimeo. No one's really discovering me either way, so might as well have them looking the best and just have it on the website looking great. Um, but then they're yeah, uploaded through Facebook too and uploaded to Instagram and Snapchat ever really lets me upload videos because I've played with it. Now that memories are out, I've uploaded 10-second videos to it that I've produced. Um, they don't look great, but hopefully they'll change that and uh, let me produce some real things for Snapchat as well. So great. You touched on Snapchat memories. Let's talk about Snapchat for a second. I know Brunch Boys does Snapchat stories, and, and yeah, you're playing with memories. Is your mm-hmm. level of engagement with your followers on Snapchat deeper than on your other platforms? No. I, I mean, that, I think that just happens because Snapchat right now, you know, it's hard to tell how many people really follow you. We get about 2,000 views. Um, so obviously the audience just isn't there compared to um, I mean, I think it for people to follow the same way I follow people where it's one step closer to me, where, you know, I'm in a restaurant, I snap a photo of a menu, people are telling me what to order, whether I ask them or not, it's like, oh my God, you should order that. So it, it's sort of fun to interact with people that way, but the numbers, it's not going to be anywhere near the engagement as Instagram. And then last, last question for you. Uh, I'm always mm-hmm. curious because I see you start these, and you touched on this a bit before with waffled and quick bites and can you fry it? Sometimes you start video projects that, that don't necessarily have a second one. Like Don't Drink and Review was something that seemed like it was going to – I mean, I thought it was hilarious. And it yeah. seemed like it was going to be a thing that continued. Yes. Why does, so why does Waffled catch on, do you think? And something like Don't Drink and Review, while very funny and, and, and a more robust video, uh, doesn't, uh-huh. doesn't get a sequel? Um, two reasons. We shot a sequel. I will not say with who. But I was told, I was told I can't air it. Oh no! Um, so unfortunately, honestly, the plan is to do more of those, and the plan is to convince this person to let me allow us to air it. Um, but honestly, it's just a very hard edit for me. While making it might be fun, it's it's four hours of what I have to get through, and then honestly, takes me a couple months to edit. So it's a, it's a scary show to pump out a lot of videos of. But I think the real, you know, I'm going to at some point and see how it does. But really, I think it goes back to, you know, I'm going to put that video up on Instagram. As visually, there's nothing grabbing you. It's all listening to it. It's going to have a much harder time finding an audience than just, here's food, here's the words, here's bacon and chocolate and waffled and everything in your face. While that, I don't know if that's the appropriate show for Instagram. I think it works across other, I think it works on Facebook, I think it works on the website, I mean, it's Instagram. So I'm going to do another one at some point, but um, so it's, it, it's a combination of producing 
and it not being so engaging for that platform. Sure. And I think the, the other key takeaway from that is, you know, your brand on Instagram is one thing and it's important to stick to your brand and your brand voice and not mess around with it just because something uh, works elsewhere. Yes, absolutely. Great. Well, Jeremy, really appreciate you coming on the show. Really insightful and great answers to questions that we didn't even think to ask. So that's the most we're going to ask. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.